This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined once again this week by MLB.com national editor Matt Myers. Matt, welcome back from vacation. We replaced you for a week with Jason Benetti from the Chicago White Sox, a very well-received podcast, I might add. So you have big shoes to fill. <laughs> Thanks for uh, filling in so nicely, Jason. Yes, he was great, and uh, it was a lot of fun to have him here in the studio. But we're going to back, get back to business this week and not dedicate an entire show to the Chicago White Sox. We are obviously going to talk about Shohei Otani. Uh, that's the biggest news in baseball right now. Did you notice that Trevor Story had an interesting night last night. The Astros bullpen is fascinating to me. We're going to talk about that, and then we're going to finish off the show with our favorite Statcast boy, Yandi Diaz, finally hit a home run the other night. We have to discuss that. Statcast is powered by Amazon Web Services. Shohei Otane, uh, has we've known, has had an injured right elbow. He came back the other night, and a highly anticipated return. Looked pretty great in the first inning. Uh, looked pretty great in the second inning, and then the third inning, Absolute disaster. Can I tell you the velocity numbers from the uh, first three innings here? Sure. 97.8 in the first inning. Cool. Topped out at 99. 95.9 in the second inning. Okay, a little worrisome. 91.9 in the third inning. And I think one of my favorite clips uh, of the entire year, this is ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, and they had George Springer, after he hit a home run, in the dugout, mic'd up, telling everybody his velocity is down. Go get him, <laughs> which was awesome. Uh, one more batter after that, he got Jose Altuve out, and that was it. And then news has since come out that they are recommending Tommy John surgery for him. Uh, currently, he has not decided whether or not to do it, but let's be honest, he's going to do it. Everybody always does it. So Shohei Otani, baseball's best story, um, not quite what we were hoping for. Well, it's, I mean, in spring training, you know, Jeff Passan had reported that there was some concern in the medical report, and that was kind of poo-pooed by the Angels, which obviously is natural, and then Otani pitched really well. But anyone who's sort of been following the story can't really be surprised by this. You know, when you hear there's a red flag and you're a guy who throws 100, yeah. it's... And then you miss two months. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's. I mean, there was many people who were wondering why they, the Angels even threw him out there anyway, but I guess I think probably this was part of their thought process, right? It was like, let's put him out there, and if he's hurt, yeah. let's do it now, as opposed to find this out next February. When I was watching the game on Sunday night, I tweeted out uh, from Baseball Savant the, the velocity charts, where you could see visually, like the lines are just going straight down. And I got about, I don't know, 11,000 replies saying how stupid the Angels were for pitching him in a meaningless game when they're not in the playoff race. And I disagreed with that totally, kind of what you just talked about. If he'd had Tommy John surgery two months ago when he first got injured, and first of all, no doctor recommended it. Nobody wants to have surgery. You just don't go do it like it's nothing. It's actually a really big deal. So that was never really an option. But anyway, if he did it two months ago, he would have missed the remainder of this year and as a pitcher, all of next year. If he does it now, he's going to miss the remainder of this year and all of next year. If you wait until the spring and then it blows the early part of next season, now he's going to miss all of 2019 and a big part of 2020. So I don't really think they lost anything. Like they gained the knowledge of whether it was going to work or not. Clearly it did not. And again, surgery wasn't an option a couple months ago. So I had no problem with what they did. Now, most of the time we would have a highly touted pitcher blows out his arm and we'd say goodbye for a year and be very, very sad about that. 
Shohei Otani is not an average pitcher. You might have noticed yesterday, four for four with two home runs. It's the second time this season he's done it. And, you know, it's interesting because based on the timing and based on what little we know about hitters coming back from Tommy John's surgery, it seems like we have about six months or so uh, until next opening day. If he has a surgery soon, he won't pitch next year, but he could be available as a hitter for most if not all of next season which is a really really interesting we don't I mean everything about Otani is interesting right he's along with Babe Ruth one of the only two players in history to hit 15 homers and pitch at least 50 innings in a season and it's uh you know it's fascinating we'll still probably get to see him hit next year which I think is is great for baseball yeah it's 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 really a unique situation and it makes you wonder like should he just be a hitter you know, I'll admit, and if you go back and listen to the recordings of this podcast, uh, I was very skeptical of him as a hitter. I, I you know, Lots I looked, of people were. I looked at his his number, and this is just based on on st- it was based purely on his strikeout rate in Japan, which was essentially would have been you know it was like thirty five percent or something. I forget exactly what it was, but it was right up there with like the league leaders in the U.S. in a league with a lower strikeout rate, with pitchers who don't throw as hard. And my thought was like, I think this guy's really going to struggle, and. Turns out I was wrong because he's absolutely <laughs> raked, he's absolutely raked this year. He's been a top twenty hitter this year. Um, he's hitting two eighty seven, three sixty seven on base, five seventy nine slugging. That is a weighted runs created plus of one fifty seven, where one hundred is league average. That is the sixth best in baseball of uh, anybody who's got at least two hundred and fifty plate appearances. The five guys ahead of him are all MVP candidates. So he's really obviously proven that he can be a plus caliber hitter. And um, it's it's kind of interesting to think about it. I don't know that I agree. He's so good on the mound. He was really, really good. There's an argument to be made that he's not like a 220 inning guy going forward and that there's a lot of different roles you can use him in in the future. But he was so good. I don't I don't see how you can take that part away from him and make him, I don't know, a, a full-time DH, an outfielder. I mean, I mean, he's hitting like, I mean, he's hitting, he's an elite hitter. Um, yes. You know, I just looked, looked this up against right-handed hitters this year. Against right-handed pitching, he has the highest OPS in all of baseball. That sounds good. <laughs> Great. He can't really hit lefties, which is a separate... Well, I don't know. He hasn't really hit lefties. <laughs> He's only got 76 plate appearances, 194, 289, 299. That's not good. He did have his first homer against the lefty the other day. I, I mean, I'm not going to make sweeping judgments based on 76 plate appearances, uh, but he he has not yet hit lefties. I'll give you that. Yeah, look at this. I mean, this list, OPS against uh, righties this year, minimum 250 plate appearances, He's number one at uh, 1,079. Then J.D. Martinez, Mike Trout, Jose Ramirez, Mookie Betts. That's good. That's that's. I would not have. I I'm. If you had asked me this in February, I would have been floored to see this now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were people who wanted to send him to the minors, but he's been an elite pitcher. Uh, Ten games started, 63 strikeouts and 51 and two thirds innings, 3.31 ERA, which doesn't even really do it justice. Um, He has been a dominant pitcher. I don't know. What do you think he is going for? You don't think he's a starting pitcher who also hits? Well, I've got a crazy idea. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Angels should consider making him an opener. Uh, not next year. I think next year he's not going to pitch. He'll have TJ. He won't pitch. He'll, he can theoretically DH, which look, that sounds like he'll be able to DH next year well, and be good. We need to talk about that, too. Yeah. But go on um, with your opener. And then in 2020, basically say, look, I think the path for you trying to make you a pitcher who throws 150 innings um, is not going to work. And also just the fact that, like, the increased risk of injury, which might take you out from being able to hit, you're going to like, we lose a lot of your value by not, if you end up on the disabled list again. So, but basically if we make you an opener, essentially where once or twice a week, you pitch one or two innings and then DH rest of the time, you won't have to worry about building up workload to throw 100 and 
30 to 160 innings. I mean, as it was this year, he was only starting once a week at most, so he probably would have maxed out at, what, 130, 140 innings. Um, you can pitch, you know, 60, innings in a year, 60 to 80 innings a year. You can uh, focus on maybe just one or two or three, uh, two or three pitches as opposed to four or five pitches if you're only pitching, you know, trying to turn over a lineup once, uh, which can also ease some strain on the arm. And now, like, being an opener has become kind of like an acceptable thing. It's becoming more and more part of the game. It's only going to grow in popularity. Um Success, success breeds imitation, and the Rays are succeeding doing it. The A's are starting to do it. Other teams are going to do it. It's going to become a normal part of baseball for teams to do it. So it's a way that allows the Angels to keep their promise to Otani to let him pitch while also getting him in the lineup as much as possible and trying to maintain his health. If he's an opener, right, you want his bat for the remainder of the game. So how does that work with the DH, right? Like he's... Well, the, the, you'd have to get, there's a few different ways you can do it, right? Obviously, if it's if it's an NL park, you just let him hit. Sure. But that's only a few games a year for the Angels. Um, given his platoon splits, you can try and line him up against when they're playing lefties. You go, oh, you're the opener. We're, we're facing two lefties this week. We're going to have you open at least one of those games against a lefty because we don't really want your bat in the lineup anyway in that game. Or you could get like really creative and forego the DH in that game and have him pitch and hit. And then, like, you know, obviously depth comes into it, but you'd have to get creative with double switches because when you forego the DH, pitcher has to hit, you maybe have him lead off so he bats twice in the game, and then you get him out of the game. It's been a long time since I've actually read the MLB rulebook. The DH does not have to bat for the pitcher, right? Can he, you can select any hitter to be replaced. I guess we should have looked this up before the podcast. Yeah, because I don't remember, <laughs> but I think that's true. I just remember a couple years ago in, in Oakland, the uh, Giants forego... Yeah, well, they, they let that bug on just right. hit. They they just like basically decide not to have the DH. But you're right. I think I think the DH can hit for anyone. So theoretically, you could DH if you had like you know your backup catcher right. catching that game. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you could DH. That seems like a little bit of. A, I mean, I don't know if I could see a Mike Sosha team doing that. Right. I mean, that's. But even if you just said we'll do it against lefties, there'd be enough opportunities in a season right. to do it to open you know thirty or forty games. So we're, we're talking about another year from now, just yes. 2020. 2020, yes. Does that keep him healthier than just being a once-a-week starter that you get, like, seven innings from? I think only because right now there is this, there's a lot of stress about trying to stay in the game and build up your arm strength and also throw a wider variety of pitches. I think that if you could limit your repertoire, it probably, and this is un- unscientific, but I think it would make it easier to stay healthy. I've seen people suggest he should be, like, a, a DH or outfielder slash closer. Um, you know, sort of like college baseball that, style, like fun. Mark Cotte <laughs> like and Cal State yeah. Fullerton, nineteen ninety five. I think that's untenable because you know pitchers have elaborate relievers have elaborate warm, warm up routines. Like even your closer is often like warming up in like the sixth inning. You know, doing armband exercises. You know, riding the bike to get you know to get loose. There's just a lot of things that go into prepping to go into a relief appearance and going out of the bullpen and really airing it out that I just don't think you could do. I think that would be a higher risk of injury. At least as an opener, you know, you're just coming in. You can do your pregame prep work. And then you're out. Um, I think you make a compelling case, and I think it's never, ever going to actually <laughs> happen that way. What do you think about for next season? Well, obviously, he's not going to pitch next season. He's not going to play the outfield next season because you're not going to have a guy with a bum arm going out there making the throw. He could probably play some first base, but I, that seems very unlikely. The outfield thing was, I mean, if they were going to play him in out, I mean, he barely played outfield in Japan. Making him in yeah. outfield at this point seems like and a non-starter. And the Angels have outfielders. They've yeah. got a pretty weak infield, and they've got a big problem at DH. Um, they have Albert Pujols for another three years and $87 million. 
do you think that there's a way that they can coexist? Because I have a really hard time seeing how that's going to work. You can't just play Pujols at first base, right? He's been a negative player for the last couple of years. And I do think that playing more first base contributed to the, the season-ending surgery he just had a couple weeks ago. And to me, I think if we've said that Otani is like a top 20 or 25 hitter, that's a guy I want in the lineup pretty much every day, especially because now if he's not going to be pitching a couple days a week next year, those aren't days where he's clearly not going to be in the lineup, right? I think he should be starting 150 games next year at DH. Where does that leave Ever Pools? It's a fascinating question. <laughs> I think that like, you know, I've seen you tweet about this. I think time, I'm just stirring things up. Time has probably come for the Angels to give serious consideration to um releasing pools yes you know designate whatever the proper term you know like it doesn't really matter just cutting ties i i had someone uh tweeted at me and i thought this was a great idea next year the angels are going to st louis the first time i don't think it's ever but the first time in many many years that they've gone there it's the first time he will go is a visiting that's what i'm saying Yeah. yeah and so that's a big deal right now i don't think the angels should care about that because it's not really their job to worry about that but it's going to be a big deal there'll be ceremonies and everything what if he plays with them until then and retires right after that in st louis that's cool Again, it'll never happen, uh, but it's cool. <laughs> I mean, it's this, I mean, at this point, if the Angels want to compete, this is what they they have to do. This is, they have to do it. Essentially, they're not serious about if you you can't roster Otani as a DH only and Pujols, you're basically punting a roster spot. Essentially, I agree. Um, so if it's gonna, it will be very fascinating. It'll be fascinating to see how they handle it. Speaking of fascinating, the Angels should consider trading Mike Trout, but we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, They will never, ever trade Mike Trout. They should extremely consider trading Mike Trout. Before we move on, this episode of the StatCast podcast is presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is simple, so you can understand the details and get approved in as few as eight minutes. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently at rocketmortgage.com. Based on a sample of Rocket Mortgage clients who met qualifying approval criteria and specific loan requirements at the time of application. Results may vary. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Last week, I did that with Jason Benetti here, and then he started doing it in his Vin Scully voice, which is fantastic. (laughs) And I regretted not having him do that from uh, the start, because it would have been amazing. Uh, Otani was not the only notable uh, StatCast story of the week. Trevor Story had himself quite the night last night. Three home runs, including one we measured at 505 feet that was the longest home run uh, tracked by StatCast in the four years it's been up, unsurprisingly topping another Coors Field home run, Giancarlo Stanton's 504 from a couple of years ago. It wasn't even the most impressive home run he hit last night. Well, that's he right. went 450 feet. Falling down. Falling down. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was kind of crazy last night. We were like, you know, thinking of like what should leave the site, leave the website overnight. And it was like, oh, Otani, 4 for 4 with two home runs right after um, – uh, getting the TJ recommendation and then story hits one hits a home run from his butt and then he hits one 505 feet so it was uh, there was a lot to choose from because on on a given night either of those story home runs probably would have been the top story on the website yeah, for he, the, kind of, he kind of buried his own lead for the first place Colorado Rockies yes. by the way which is like the NL West is an amazing uh, story right now Arizona is right there the Dodgers just lost two out of three to the Mets and looked pretty bad doing so Dodgers and Rockies this weekend in Colorado with no Kenley Jansen, uh, which is, you know, that's not going to be a problem for the Dodgers at all. They haven't had bullpen issues or anything. Trevor Story hitting 298, 354, 566. That's a weighted runs created plus of 128. Yes, as always, we have to talk about home road splits. Uh, at home, his weighted on base is three is, is 434. On the road, it's 431. He's got three, a, uh, 341. 341. A slugging percentage. Which is still pretty good, but not. Yeah, yeah. It's above average. Yeah. Slugging percentage difference of 685 at home, 459 on the road. That's massive. Again, he is an above average hitter away from home. He is not a course field creation, 
Coors Field helps you hit 505 foot home runs. And it's interesting because he's quietly in, he's not going to win the, the National League uh, Most Valuable Player, but you, go, you sort of have to start talking about him. If you look at the Fangraphs wins above replacement leaderboards, there is essentially a 10-man tie for, not quite first, but for being in the conversation. Now, we can eliminate JT Armuto and Scooter Jeanette. They are not going to win. Their teams are not competitive, uh, and they just don't have everything else to overcome it. But Matt Carpenter, Lorenzo Cain, Javier Baez, Christian Yelich, Paul Goldschmidt, Story, Freddie Freeman, Nolan Arenado, all in the conversation. Uh, I think Story's got no shot because I think people still think that Nolan Arenado is the best player on that team. But we've been talking about the Rockies for a while and how their offense is incredibly disappointing. And a big part of that has been they've had two reliable hitters. Arenado and Charlie Blackman. Well, Charlie Blackman's been kind of terrible this year. Trevor Story has more than like stepped up. He has, and this is, I'm quoting from uh, Jeff Sullivan at Fangraphs here. Trevor Story struck out last year over 34% of the time. This year, he has struck out 25% of the time. That is a drop of nine percentage points, and that is not just huge. It is historic. He looked at every back-to-back season with 500 plate appearances in both years, going back to 1900. There was baseball before 1900, but who cares? It almost barely didn't count as baseball. And this drop of nine percentage points was in the top 10. It was one of the largest we've ever seen. And that is an enormous deal. That's a, a huge improvement for a guy who burst on the scene in 2016. Had a pretty disappointing. He homered in like his first five games or something. Yeah, it was something crazy. Uh, I think he like three off of Zach Greinke in two starts or something like that. Last year was not a great year for him. He took a big step back. Uh, strikeout rate plummeted. Uh, he had pretty good defense. And then this year he's made another big step forward. He is now, I would say, the second best player on the Rockies behind Nolan Arenado, which is that's saying a lot. Charlie Blackman's been a very good player there for a number of years. Uh, Charlie Blackman is probably thrilled he signed that extension right now because he has not had a good season and he's not going to want to be in free agency. Uh, so that's a great deal for him. But for the Rockies, um, we've talked about the struggling offense and it's still a struggling offense. But Story has been legitimately very, very good, not just because of Coors Field, because he's been very, very good. Yeah, it's he's 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 a fascinating player. I was I was thought it was kind of a fluke and I thought last year was sort of a better uh, better. Um uh like read on what he actually is, which is like a guy with some pop but a big hole in the swing. But like, hey, that guy at shortstop's playable. It's sort of like uh modern day uh oh uh, Jose Hernandez with the old uh oh, the Dodgers old Brewers uh, guy yeah, who, like Brewers Dodgers. Yeah. Well Jose Hernandez wasn't that wasn't a great fielder, I don't think. And story is actually a pretty good shortstop. And he's fast. So we have our sprint speed leaderboards. And if you look at our sprint speed leaderboards, uh this is a. Did you like sort with the sprint speed leaderboards by like a high uh, minimum so that there's no Byron Buxton at the top? This is just short stops. Oh, just short stops. That makes so much more sense. Number one, Trey Turner. Number two, Adalberto Mondesi, which is an impossible name for me to say. And number three, Trevor Story. And if you were to look at every position, um, I believe all three of these names are in the top dozen or so. Like he has elite foot speed. Yeah. And, and in, in 2016, he was number one among short stops at 29.6 feet per second. Last year, he was. Uh, Fifth among shortstops at 29.3. So it's not new. What's new this year is that he's using that speed to steal bases. Um, he's got 25 stolen bases now. And right now, he actually, with one more double, he will become the first shortstop in MLB history with 30 home runs, 40 doubles, and 25 stolen bases in one season, which is crazy because Francisco Lindor could also join that club with three more stolen bases. A shortstop has never done it before, and this year we're probably going to have two shortstops do it. What's interesting is that Lindor does not show up on this list of top 10 shortstops in sprint speed, 
but story does. So he sort of added that dimension to his game. It's almost like he's like, wow, I realized sprint speed's telling me I'm a lot faster than I realized. Maybe I should be stealing bases. When we were looking at uh, the sprint speed, we did an update this year because last year it was just about uh, the, the two base runs, right? And this year we added the home the first and story kept showing up really high. And he was the guy that stood out to us. It's like, okay, Trey Turner, Billy Hamilton, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trevor Story, like I, it's I always like when we learn something about a guy, and Trevor Story was the one who stood out to me. Like I was shocked by his foot speed, and because I mean, as we've talked about before, like so much of people scouting speed, they scout based on stolen bases. Where it's like if you've never, people forget that like there's a lot of fast guys who don't steal a lot of bases, and Trevor Story was one of them until this year. Um, he could end up being thirty thirty, which we haven't seen in. Uh, well, I guess Jose Ramirez is about to do it too. We might have a few of them this year, and we haven't had it since 2012 when Mike Trout did it. We are we are in something of a golden age of like left side infield talent between shortstop and third base. It's it's phenomenal right now. Now uh, the Rockies are in an interesting spot, I guess. Nolan Arenado is a free agent after next season. Story is what through 2021, and Brendan Rodgers is just about ready. To, I mean, I think this might be simple. DJ May, who's a free agent, and Brendan Rodgers play second base. Maybe? Yeah, I mean Rodgers has pl- played. Uh, Played 24 games at second base this year in the minors. 69 games at short. That's sort of his short is his natural position. 24 games at second and 21 games at third. Um, you know, if they keep, you know, if they assume stories a shortstop and they keep all these guys, presumably Rogers would play second next year and then maybe slide to third in when Arenado's gone or maybe Story slides to third. I don't know. Um, but to me, the Rockies are a team where Rogers could potentially be trade bait depending on how this season goes before we move on from the Rockies just a, a quick note on their pitching um I know everybody talks about Kyle Freeland he's been phenomenal he'll finish top 10 in the Cy Young no doubt Herman Marquez that man is uh, he is a dude did you see him pitch uh, last night 11 I did not. Oh, he, he's looked really really good and then they've got uh Yense Almonte coming up like they have some incredibly talented pitching I've never been high on Sensatella he's a future reliever for me but Herman Marquez uh there was 97 with a hammer curveball and he is legit. And he came from the Rays and the no. Uh, yes, he did. He was in the Corey Dickerson, Jacob McGee deal. Okay, which like that's a deal that you have to keep rethinking about like every six months <laughs> or so. Um, and they got Amante from the Angels for I don't remember who, but no one memorable. You mentioned the um, the Dodgers series this weekend, and to me, one interesting subplot. And like I know this is like I don't I don't mean to make light of the situation because it's obviously with Jansen. He has a heart condition, and basically the reason he's not traveling is because doctors said the high altitude could be bad for his heart condition. Is like what if the Dodgers just end up playing the Rockies. I was, post, I was post, thinking exactly that. In the postseason, like it's, it's kind of scary to think about because clearly like it's serious if his doctor doesn't want him traveling to Colorado, but there's a very good chance they play each other in either the wild card game or somewhere in the playoffs. I don't have the standings in front of me, but maybe you can find out. I'm trying to think about this. The number one seed in the National League is almost certainly going to be the Cubs, I would think. Yeah, at this point they're... So the Cubs will play the winner of the wild card game at home. So that won't be Dodgers, uh, Rockies there. So potentially they could. It could face I mean, it could be. I mean, if the, the D-backs came back and win the division. No, I'm saying the wild card game could be, yes. and then it, that could be in Colorado. Yes. So there's a possibility of that, and then beyond that, it couldn't happen until I guess maybe the NLCS. Yes, it can happen to the NLCS. Yeah. Depending how things shake out, that would be a really, really interesting story. And I think they're making the right call by not taking Jensen with them this weekend. Clearly, that has been a big problem. Um, I don't know how he sits out that game, but also I don't know how he goes there and pitches either. <laughs> like if you're telling me right now, he's not. You know, it's not safe for him to play there. It's it just it's it, it will be a, a sort of. You know, it will be an interesting subplot if it comes to that. You know, you almost hope it doesn't come to that because it's a decision you don't want to have to see a team make. No. Um, but if it does happen, um, it'll be interesting. Without Kenley Jansen, the Dodger bullpen is a problem because they acquired John Axford uh, and then later on Ryan Madsen. And you know who they should have acquired? 
Who? Ryan Presley. <laughs> nice segue. Yes, there's a great segue. Uh, we've talked about Ryan Presley on this show a little bit, and we're going to go back to partially him, but also the Astros bullpen. Um, I'm just kind of going off gut feel here, which I know is not really what the show is about. Does it feel like nobody thinks the Astros have a good bullpen? Totally. I think that's because Ken Giles uh, kind of had a, a lousy year before he got traded. ERA of almost five, uh, minor league demotion. Uh, there was a stretch in late July where Chris Davinsky was awful. He got lit up like three times in four four outings. Went to the minor, uh, went to the disabled list. Finally came back. And it's it's interesting to me that people don't perceive the Astros bullpen as being good because when you look at the numbers, they're incredible. They have the best bullpen ERA in baseball. They have the second highest strikeout rate, the lowest walk rate the lowest average against, the lowest weighted on base against, the lowest expected weighted on base against, the second lowest hard hit rate. Those are literally all of the things you would want from a bullpen. Their bullpen is so very, very good. And they've also made some very interesting additions. Now, the biggest name there, Roberto Osuna. Obviously, he's got a bit of a track record uh, and more than a little controversy. But I want to talk about Ryan Presley. Since he's come to Houston, 22 strikeouts, zero walks which is uh, about as close to perfect as you can possibly be. Uh, we talked about him with Minnesota, obviously, like he was a guy that stood out to us on this show. He has the highest curveball spin rate in baseball other than Garrett Richards, who is injured. So let's say he has the highest curveball spin rate in baseball. He has a top 10 fastball spin rate in baseball. Obviously, these are things that would have stood out to a team like Houston, but I hesitate to say that Houston is somehow the team that would have noticed this. I feel like at this point, if you and I are noticing these things, every team in baseball should be noticing these things. What was fascinating to me, so he's really good with with Minnesota, gets traded to Houston, and makes just like the most Astros changes that a pitcher can make at this point. With the Twins, he threw 47% fastballs. With the Astros, it's 35% fastballs. Of those fastballs, with the Twins... 36% of them were high, which I'm calling upper third of the zone and above with the Astros, 47%. So throwing fewer fastballs, throwing more of them high, that's an Astros box right there. And that very high spin curveball, 24% with the Twins, almost 40% with the Astros. I feel like there's like a great deal of science and knowledge that goes into this, but also throw your great curve more and throw your good rising fastball high. It's like paint by numbers at this point almost like i don't know why you have to go to houston to do some of these but things. they the, the astros have clearly shown a knack for taking these types of pitchers and getting the most out of them it's a, it's actually a similar profile to verlander just in a relief in a yeah. reliever package garrett cole and, yeah so <laughs> charlie morton uh colin McHugh. yeah i mean it's exactly right like i feel like some of this stuff shouldn't even be that complicated but he's not the only one like i've been a, a fan of presley for a while um i think he's going to get some really high leverage innings in the playoffs but it's not just him Did you know that since august 1st joe smith has a 0.9 ERA. Hector Rondon, who they kind of got off the scrap heap from the Cubs, has been fantastic. Um, McHugh's had a rough couple weeks, but 84 strikeouts, 16 walks, 64 innings, 183 ERA this year. Uh, I was actually I was interested in this tweet by Brian McTaggart, who's our Astros.com beat reporter. He was looking ahead to the Astros playoff roster. Uh, he says that uh, six locks, in his opinion. Presley, McHugh, Osuna, Rondon, Smith, and Brad Peacock. That makes sense to me. Here's the names that he left off as maybe may, might not make it. Uh, one spot, really, for Chris Davinsky, Will Harris, Tony Sipp, and maybe Lance McCullers. That is ridiculous to me that some of those guys are not going to make a potential playoff roster. That's wild. I mean, and we've seen Lance McCullers do this last year. I've always thought he's a future reliever. We saw him in the postseason last year. He's hurt now. If he comes back as like a two or three inning reliever, that's really, really good. That's where he should. I be. mean, the depth that the team has been able to develop in their pitching staff is just it's it's the, the guys left off that bullpen would be like one, two, three, four in some other right. playoff team's bullpens. And we didn't even mention 
Joshua James, who is a name that I think nobody has any idea about. Uh, Joshua James made his major league debut the other day. He was a 34th round pick in 2014, unranked on pretty much any prospect list I can think of uh, before this season. And he hit 101.1 miles an hour in his debut. It was the fastest pitch thrown by a starter this year for all of one day, because the next day, Diego Castillo, who was the Tampa Bay opener, hit 101.3. How does anybody hit anything literally ever? I don't understand. (laughs) Um, Joshua James, his progression is so cool. In 2015, in A-ball, he struck out fewer than seven per nine. That's bad. This year, struck out 171 in 114 innings because over the years, he had improved his velocity from about 92-93 to 100. Uh, and, and what he's credited this to is he had treatment for sleep apnea, which is, that's, that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. I've never really considered that for guys. But Joshua James is a 34th round pick, the lowest round pitcher to ever start for Houston. He's probably not even in the conversation for the postseason roster. And here's this guy coming out here throwing 101 like it's absolutely nothing. And I don't even think anybody noticed. Like, we don't even care about 101 anymore. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, just hit, just, just hit against the shift. You know, it's it's easy. Um, it's a good thing the Astros have a ton of relievers because I do want to point out some small amount of worry with Dallas Keuchel, which I think is going to be really interesting since he's going to be a free agent this year. And I think he might be a guy uh, we talk about getting a lot less than people think he might get. His ground ball rate last year, and he's obviously a big ground ball pitcher. Last year, 67%. This year, it is 54%. That is a drop of 13 points of every single pitcher who had 100 innings last year and 50 innings this year, of which there are 321 pitchers. That is the largest drop in ground ball rate in baseball. Uh, He has thrown 20 innings in a month, 33 times over his career. He just had a 50% ground ball rate in August. That was the third lowest ground ball rate of any of those 33 months. And the previous two were back in 2013, his first full season in the game. I don't have a good explanation for why he's not getting grounders anymore, but his strikeout rate is down too. And that to me is an enormous amount of worry going not only into free agency, but also into the playoffs. He might be a guy you see get yanked after like seven batters. Or what if he doesn't make a a playoff roster? He's going to make the playoff (laughs) roster. I mean... (laughs) If you look at his his yearly stats, I mean, in reality, the outlier is his Cy Young year. If you go by like his 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 FIP, his fielding independent pitching, 2014 321, 2015 291, which is when he won the Cy Young when his ERA was 2.48 and he won 20 games. The last three years, FIP 387, 379, 360. So I think that's what teams are going to view him as, and he will get compensated as such. He's been very durable. You know, he's gonna probably going to get 200 innings again. But even last year, he only went 145, 168 the year before that. And then his Cy Young year, he threw 232. So I think that, like, that's – I think teams are wise enough now that, like, they're not going to view him as Dallas Keuchel Cy Young winner. It's going to be, like, Dallas Keuchel number three starter. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second because we haven't talked about this at all and we're jumping ahead. There will be two prominent lefty starting pitchers on the free agent market this year. I don't know how their age is in front of me, but I think they're similar. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, who will have a Cy Young Award and at least one World Series championship. And Patrick Corbin, who will have neither of those things. I think Patrick Corbin is going to get a larger deal than Keuchel, and I don't know if it'll be close. Yeah, I I agree it will be larger. I don't know if it will be—Corbin is a year younger. Even uh, better. Uh, but I, I think that's the kind of thing that will shock people. 
It's like, oh, but Keiko has a sigh and he won the World Series. Who's Patrick Corbin? I don't watch the Diamondbacks. I, I think Patrick Corbin will get a, like, we should probably make lists of like guys who think we're going to do surprisingly well. I think Corbin, I think Adam Adovino is going to do really well. And on the other hand, I don't think that Keiko is going to do as well as you think. I don't think like Adam Jones is going to do that well. Uh, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but it's going to no, be. No, I mean, I think picture. Corbin's going to be the, assuming Darvish, I mean, Kershaw doesn't opt out um, and hit the market. Um, I think Corbin's the most sought after pitcher on the market this year i think that might be right and i'm not sure it's to me it's not, it's, it's not i mean he's been so much more dominant than than keichel this year and seems like a pitcher sort of finding himself as a pitcher sort of already found his has like whereas like keichel feels like a guy who like peaked in his level even though they're only a year apart feels like he peaked in level off where Cor- corbin sort of feels like a late bloomer who was you know, who was kind of on breakout lists a few years ago um and then now it's kind of in the last like year and a half has really started to put it together let's finish off with something fun Yandi Diaz, longtime listeners of this show will know the name Yandi Diaz. We've only been talking about him for, I don't know, two years. Yandi Diaz, Cleveland Indians, finally hit his first big league homer on September 4th against Jake Newberry, who I can honestly say I have never heard of. He's a rookie pitcher for Kansas City. Now, this home run went all of 386 feet. It was not exactly a majestic blast, but it was a home run. And it was his first major league home run. He has 249 plate appearances in the bigs across the last two years. He's been okay. 96 weighted runs created plus a slightly below average. 369 slugging. The reason we talk about Yanni Diaz is because he is an incredible exit velocity guy. If you've ever seen a picture of him, he has what I believe have to be the largest biceps in all of baseball, if not professional sports. He looks like he should be a weightlifter, and he hits the ball as hard as you would expect. Uh, If you look at everybody over the last two seasons who have had 100 batted balls, so almost 500 guys here, his exit velocity, his average of 91.7 is 15th. That's the 97th percentile. His hard hit rate of 49% is 11th. That's the 98th percentile. He looks like he should destroy baseballs. He hits them very, very hard. And yet in 800 AAA plate appearances over the last two years, he has eight home runs. (laughs) I will give you one guess as to why that is. He pounds the ball into the ground a lot. Last year when he was in the bigs, he had a zero degree launch angle. Uh, He had a 59% ground ball rate in the majors and a 64% ground ball rate in the minors. Two out of every three balls he hit. We're into the ground. It almost doesn't matter how hard you hit it. That's been a little bit better this year in the majors. Uh, that zero degree launch angle is up to five and a half. That uh, ground ball rate of 64% in the minors dropped to 52%. There's still hope. He was he looked so happy. I was happy when he hit the home run. He looked thrilled. Um, I'm not out on him yet. I just I don't even feel like he needs to be like you know a, a Matt Olson fly ball type. Just like a little bit more. I think. Yes, obviously. I think, that, <laughs> I think that much is clear. It was cool to see. The thing is, it was also interesting. It was like actually kind of like a you would expect. I would expect it to be like a line drive to the left field, but it was actually kind of just like he reached out and pitch on the outer half and kind of like flicked his wrists over right center field, which is like the kind of home run he should be hitting with his kind of impressive strength. Now, the the one problem with the uh, so they went out and traded for Josh Donaldson, which ended any chance I think of Yanni Diaz making the postseason roster because he's also a third baseman. Um, but I would just love to see, like, he's one of my favorite players to watch because he's so big and he hits the ball so hard. And he's just the sort of guy you wouldn't have paid attention to, I think, before we had all this extra data. And I just wanted him to do something about it. And I know they've told him. I know they've talked to him about it. And I know it's a lot easier said than done. Um, but you can't teach hitting the ball that hard. And I feel like you can teach elevating the ball a little bit. We've seen people do it. And that's that's all I want. I don't have anything else to add to the Yandi Diaz story. I just wanted to point out that he finally hit this first home run after like two years of us talking about it. Congrats, Yandi. Dreams can come true. That's our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Thanks for listening. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 